0: This week, on the Myths and Legends podcast, it's the story of the enchanted pig, and you'll learn that you should cling dearly to your deeply held convictions, unless a pig drops by with 28,000 of his closest friends. Then, all bets are off. The creatures this time are tiny vampires that like to eat brains, and you'll see why their small size can add up to a very big problem. (laughs) This is the Myths and Legends podcast, episode 77, Mrs. Piggy. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. Today's story is from Romanian folklore, and the original is entitled The Enchanted Pig, recorded by Scottish author Andrew Lang. It's a fairy tale. So, so even though it takes place in Eastern Europe, sometime around the Renaissance, maybe, none of that really matters. Alright, on with the story. The fairy tale king gathered his fairy tale daughters before him. Alright, ladies, I have to go to war. You know, king stuff. So, while I'm away hopefully not dying... You'll have free reign over the castle. You'll have servants to do almost anything you could desire, and you can go in almost every room. Almost? The eldest daughter asked. That's right. Pretty much any room, except for my personal sanctum in the basement, that contains secrets of the dark and terrible persuasion. You can, under no circumstances, enter that room. But I feel like I don't even need to say that, because I trust you three so much. I'll just leave the key on the hearth right here, out in the open. I know none of you would ever, ever violate my trust and enter that room so it should be fine well I should really get going I'll be at least a couple of months to maybe a few years maybe forever I'll keep you posted and the king left to the daughter's credit they lasted 10 minutes after the king and his attendants had disappeared over the horizon before swiping the key from the hearth and unlocking the door to their father's private sanctum and they were shocked that they weren't shocked There weren't any dismembered corpses or thirsty sorcerers chained to the wall. None of the cool stuff from the stories they had heard. The daughters had simply unlocked the door to their dad's messy office. Inside were scrolls and books scattered all over the place, along with some knickknacks, just boring kingdom stuff that didn't match the description of the room. The daughters poked around in there for about 10 minutes, but there wasn't anything that interesting. As they were about to leave, however, the youngest princess caught sight of a book lying open on the pedestal prophecies about our family from a powerful wizard. She read aloud from the cover. Wow. Really cuts to the chase. She said, flipping through the book. There was stuff about their family, their mother and their father. Finally, there on the last page, they found the entries concerning themselves. They learned that their father would live to an old age, but not before seeing several grandchildren and heirs from his three daughters. The eldest daughter would marry a prince from the east. She stepped back and smiled. All right. Not bad. The next daughter stepped up to the book and read her entry. She learned that she would marry a prince from the west. The two daughters high-fived. See, expressly disobeying their father's one and only rule turned out pretty well. The youngest daughter returned to the book eagerly. She saw that she would marry a pig from the north. Wait, are you serious? She said. She looked down. She glanced down. That can't be right. A pig? like an animal, like swine, she read further, yes, the book said, pig, this is not a euphemism for an unappealing guy, but an actual pig, the youngest daughter staggered back, if her elder sisters hadn't caught her, she would have smashed her head on the stone floor, as she fainted, when she awoke, the youngest princess was in her room, in bed, the other sisters had locked the sanctum, and placed the key back on the hearth, careful to put everything in the room back where they had found it, the older two princesses were elated by their news, and tried to comfort their sister, saying that even though the prophecy had said that she would marry a pig, she wasn't going to marry a pig. Come on, her father was more powerful than that. He wouldn't let his daughter be taken away by a nasty little animal. She tried to listen to their words, to let them comfort her, but it was no use. She could see their happiness. She knew that they believed the prophecies, Over the next few weeks, she became so ridden with anxiety that she couldn't even eat or sleep. She refused to go outside or do anything other than sit in bed and worry. In a few short months, the king returned from war, victorious. He greeted his daughters eagerly. Though the youngest tried to hide her feelings, tried to show that nothing was wrong, she couldn't hide it for long. A few days later, when the girl spontaneously broke down crying for the third time in his presence, a feeling shot through the king like a hot knife. She had done it, she had read the book of prophecies. The king asked all of his daughters to meet with him. He told them that he knew they had disobeyed him, that they had gone into the forbidden room. The daughters became worried. This was a fairy tale after all. Entering a room that a king and father asked you not to enter, was a wife-slash-daughter killing offense. The king sighed. Of course he could never do that, he assured them. Given the two eldest daughters' happiness, and the younger's extreme despair, it hadn't taken much to guess that they had read the book. That they knew their futures. The youngest, again, burst out sobbing. Look, I'm sorry, the king said to his youngest daughter. You know, for as long as our family has had that book, the words have proven unalterable, but, you know, it might be different this time. Everyone knew that it wouldn't be, but the youngest daughter chose to try and live her life as if the book were wrong. As if she wouldn't be forced to marry a pig, and... For a long time, she successfully carried on with her life. That is, until a suitor came for her eldest sister. That man was a prince from the east, just like the book had said. And he was a great match. The daughter liked the man and agreed to the marriage, because let's pretend that's in the story. And the father decreed that they should be wed. The middle daughter grew more excited, and the youngest more anxious. Then, a prince came from the west to ask for the hand of the middle daughter, even though the youngest daughter tried to put it out of her mind. She knew that the prophecies in the book were coming true. It was only a matter of time before the pig came calling for her. Hey, I'd like to ask for your youngest daughter's hand in marriage, the king heard from behind. He couldn't see the speaker, but there was no way a voice like that could come from a pig-faced gentleman, now time for a big drink of wine, and to immediately turn around to see who was addressing him. He spit the wine all over the throne room, as he whirled around to see a pig standing before him. Okay, and you're a pig, the king said, wiping wine from his face. Yeah, the admittedly well-dressed pig said with a shrug, is that a problem? I'm going to be very honest with you, the king said, I have nothing against pigs. Piglets are adorable, and teacup pigs, don't even get me started. You being here, though, it's kind of a big problem. You see, there's this family prophecy where my daughter's fated to marry a pig, and it's kind of been driving her crazy. Oh my gosh, the pig said. I totally understand, I do. But, um, a prophecy? About your daughter and me? We're, like, meant to be. No offense. You're missing the point. She doesn't want to marry you and I'm not going to make her, the king said with a note of finality in his voice. I'm missing the point, the pig scoffed. It sounds like you are trying to stand in the way of fate and the wonderful life of happiness I can give your daughter in my cabin in the woods. Does it occasionally include rolling around in pits of her own filth? Of course it does, but what life of happiness doesn't? Look, pig, the king said, glowering at the animal. I have been more than patient with you. You came asking for my daughter's hand, and I'm telling you no. That will be enough for most men, let alone pigs. Now get out, because I'm a big, big fan of bacon. I hear you, but this is just a misunderstanding, the pig said, ignoring the very obvious threat. I think the problem is that you haven't been around pigs enough to really appreciate us. I want to give you the opportunity to reconsider, and really get to know some pigs. I want you to enjoy a pig plague. What's the opposite of a plague? Well, not the opposite, but like a plague with a positive connotation. Party. Enjoy your pig party. I'll be back in three days. The king stared at the pig in disbelief. Was this swine serious? He wasn't leaving. The king leapt from his throne and blinked. When he blinked, there wasn't one pig in the room, but four. He was very surprised. He blinked again, and there weren't four pigs, but eight. Then sixteen. Then 32, he rushed outside to see pigs filling up his city. Every time he blinked, more and more pigs materialized. Progress and movement in the city ground to a halt as the streets became packed with pork. Rooftops caved in with the weight of pig pyramids. By evening, the inns were overflowing with bacon, but the pigs were like hydra heads. Kill one, and two more took its place. Then came the droppings. (laughs) Okay, so I'm obviously not too familiar with this, but I think that pig that came a couple days ago might have been magic, the king said to his youngest daughter three days later. Really? Was the talking pig a giveaway on that little detail? The daughter replied, flinging the teacup pig out of her teacup and understanding where this conversation was going. All the same, there are way too many pigs outside, the king said reluctantly. I have great confidence in you, honey to figure out the magic behind this young pig. So much confidence that I'm going to play my medieval dad card and force you to marry him, the king said, as a nearby servant slipped on more pig filth. I am so glad you made the right decision here, the magic pig said to the king. He had demanded not just the pledge, but that the marriage take place on that very day. As soon as they said, I do... The kingdom was clear of pigs, though all the damage they did and the waste they had created remained. It would be a long road ahead to repair and clean the kingdom, but they would recover. The daughter, though, was forlorn, as she rode away in a carriage with her new husband. This had been her deepest fear ever since she had read the prophecy. Now, she was sitting next to a pig, a well-mannered one, of course, but a pig who had extorted her father into giving his permission nonetheless. Exhausted from the stressful days leading up to her marriage, she dozed as they traveled. She didn't know how long she had been asleep when they finally arrived at their cottage. She was sick to her stomach, but not as sick as she was going to be later. As the pig showed her to their room and left, only to return a few minutes later, strutting around in her robe. Her face fell ashen as she realized that he wanted to consummate the marriage. Was that even possible? He read her very obvious displeasure and smiled a sly pig smile he would make things a bit easier. He put out the lantern. There, in the darkness and sitting on the bed, the young woman shuddered as she heard the floor creaking and the pig approaching. She winced as he touched her, but realized that it wasn't a hoof or a snout, but a hand. She reached out to feel the long hair and very shapely form of a young human man. She was intrigued, and even though she didn't know who this guy was, from what she could feel, he wasn't a talking pig. So, that was good enough for her. Hey, so that was amazing. She heard the next morning as she awoke. She smiled. It was nice. Then she opened her eyes and shrieked. She was face to face with the pig. As her screams trickled away, he explained to her that, last night, that was the real him. This pig form was a whole curse thing. It was long and complicated, but she just needed to trust him that everything would be all right. With that, the pig got out of bed, got dressed in his tiny pig clothes, and went about his day. That was the next week for the young woman. Every night, she would spend time with the young man she considered to be her true husband, and every day, she would walk around the nearby village with the pig. The young woman knew that he had said everything would be all right, but he didn't seem to mind looking like a pig. While she did care that she was married to one, it was too much. Searching for a solution, one finally came to her in the form of a definitely not suspicious elderly woman. Beckoning her into a dark alley, the old woman said that she saw the girl going around with the pig. What if he could not be a pig anymore? The young woman stared at the creepy elderly woman, who was definitely a witch. She was listening though. Back in the witch's hut, the elderly woman learned more about the girl's situation. Was it that your dad guilted you into taking his place in the captivity of a horrible beast? No? Your parents sacrificed you to a dragon because Aphrodite was jealous? Not that either? Hmm, the witch said. Well, whatever messed up family dynamics led to the situation, I have your solution. String. All you need to do is tie it around his little pig ankle as he sleeps, and then he'll stay in the form of an attractive young man, and not that considerably less attractive pig. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, the princess said. No problem, said the witch, making a deal with a seemingly kind yet sinister witch always works out in these stories. Enjoy. The princess was giddy. She had stayed up all night in excitement. This morning would be the morning. She had tied the magic string around his foot. And if the sinister looking elderly woman living on the edge of civilization offering magical items for absolutely no reason other than her own altruism was to be believed, then today, all the princess's problems would be solved. The sun rose... And this was the time when, as soon as the light of the morning hit the young man, he turned back into a pig. The light hit him, and things didn't go as well as she expected. The string instantly became bloated and rotten, bubbling and falling away. Also, he did turn back into a pig, which wasn't really part of the deal with the witch. She was worried about the string, and moved to shake her pig husband awake, but when she touched him, her hand went right through him. She screamed, and he jolted awake, upright. He looked at her and smiled, and then he felt a burning on his leg. He saw the rotten remains of the string. He rolled his eyes and groaned. You didn't, he said, staring at her. I did, she said. You have no idea what you've done. He cautioned her, in as ominous a voice as a pig can muster. Uh... I didn't listen to you when you said it would be okay and took advice from a sinister witch and ended up cursing you even worse than you already were cursed, the princess said. Oh, okay, yeah, then I guess you do know what you've done, the pig said. So, I'm fading away, which is just another fun level of the curse. I couldn't tell you, but I guess it doesn't matter now. We were three days away from my curse being broken. Three days. I had found my true love and she married me without me telling her about the curse and how I'm a super rich, handsome, and powerful prince. So we were all set. But you sent a swarm of pigs to terrorize my father's kingdom for the better part of a week, the princess said, confused. Oh, yeah, the pig said. It wasn't in the deal with the witch that I couldn't terrorize a woman into marrying me. There are actually a lot of loopholes. Witches don't have great lawyers. Anyway, I'm fading away now, and I don't know how long I have to stay in this pig form. Thanks a lot for that. If you ever want to see me again, then you must wear out three pairs of iron shoes and blunt a steel staff in your search for me. Then, and only then will I be free from this curse. Help me, princess. You're my only hope, the prince said, before fading away, leaving the princess in a quiet, remote cabin, alone. The princess will embark on an epic quest to save her husband, but that will be right after this. the next part from the story, because it's actually kind of inspirational. Now, when the princess was left alone, she began to weep and moan, in a way that was pitiful to hear. But when she saw that her tears and groans did her no good, she got up, determined to go wherever fate should lead her. I basically get that it's okay to mourn, but afterwards she decided that she would go on. She would rescue her prince. The princess gathered up her things, as well as her own dowry, and made her way to town. The first thing she did, was order three pairs of iron shoes, and an iron staff. When they were finished, she strapped them to her feet, and stood awkwardly. She had a long robe before her, but if that was the price of finding, and saving her prince, well, then that's what she'd do. The shoes were heavy, about a pound each, and the staff was even worse. She took a deep breath, and began her walk down the road. And, it was a long one. First, she passed the witch's hut, but found it abandoned, as if no one had lived in it for years. The princess chastised herself, for being deceived by the witch. She continued on, slogging through bogs, shivering through snowstorms, surviving the desert, and trying to stay safe, when crossing the wide oceans. Then, she came to what she knew must be the edge of the world. She had been walking for three days, without seeing anything in any direction, save for the lines separating the cloudless sky from the ever-expanding salt flats. It was just complete and utter nothingness. Out of food and water, she knew that she would die in this place. Every part of her ached. Her head pounded from dehydration, her stomach rocked with hunger, and her feet were bloody from the less-than-adaptive iron shoes. Finally, early one evening, she collapsed on the white ground. As she lay there, exhausted, the ground lit up in brilliant white all around her. She lifted her head and saw the moon above, but it was different than she'd ever seen it before. It was massive. It nearly filled the entire sky, and just below it, at the very bottom, was the silhouette of a shack. As the moon moved higher in the sky, the princess focused on that area, on the horizon, where the shack stood. She rose painfully to her feet, and used every last bit of energy to find the shack, hoping, praying, there will be someone there to help her. The old woman found the princess collapsed right in front of her house, and pulled her inside. It was only a few minutes later that the princess woke up in a cool, soft bed, with a nice woman looking over her. The princess scrambled from the bed, but the woman insisted that she stay, bringing her food and water. As the princess gulped the sustenance, she noticed that her feet, calloused, scarred, and bloody, were now bare. The old woman held up two pieces of mangled iron. She had found them not ten feet from where the princess had fallen. It looked like she had worn through the iron shoes. That was no small feat. The princess learned that she was in the house of the moon, and just as she saw, the moon had left for the night. The moon apparently still lived with her mother, because that's who this kind elderly woman was. The princess, however, didn't care who this woman was. This woman was giving her food and water, and if that meant the old woman wanted to eat her afterwards, well, then at least the princess wouldn't have to do more walking. But the old woman did not want to eat her, and only wanted to help the sweet young girl, who had collapsed outside. With thirst quenched and stomach full, the princess felt much better. Well, mostly, Without the iron shoes, her feet were feeling pretty good. Her headache was gone after the water, but she still had immense pain in her abdomen. She thought that would go away if she wasn't starving. The elderly woman came over and felt her head and then inspected her stomach. She stepped backward and gasped. Oh, honey, the moon's mother said. You're not hungry. You're pregnant. The princess sat there in shock. Pregnant? That was when her water broke. And if you being pregnant comes as a shock to you, good news, the moon's mother said. You're not going to be pregnant for that much longer. (laughs) It was not the night of rest that the princess had hoped for, to say the very least. As she looked down at her healthy baby boy, she thought about all that had happened. She had nearly died getting to the edge of the world on her own, but now she had a baby, the princess sighed and watched the baby's sleeping face. Now, more than ever, she had to find and free his father. She wanted to make their little family whole. Unfortunately, after days of walking and a long night of giving birth, the princess was only able to sleep for a few hours before the elderly woman woke her. She had to leave. The woman's daughter, the moon, would be back at any moment and she was pretty cranky after a long night of work. The moon's mom gave the princess a whole cooked chicken for the road, and shoved her out the back door, just as the moon was starting to loom large on the other side of the sky. As the princess walked away, baby in one arm, staff in the other, and a fresh pair of iron shoes on her feet, she heard the moon's mom yelling something to her, about how she should hold on to the bones of the chicken, how they might be useful. The princess shrugged, at this point, What was one more thing to lug around on a journey to the edge of the world? The moon's mom also yelled something else. If she wanted to find her husband, she must look for the sun. Just keep traveling west, and the princess should find his house. If the journey by herself was difficult, it was nearly impossible with a baby in a sling. Nearly impossible. She crossed swamps and mountains, scraped her legs and elbows climbing steep, rocky trails, and she had to crawl and climb and beg for help at times but she continued, once again weary, and nearly on death's doorstep, the princess finally spotted a beautiful palace, ahead of her, amidst the mountains. With her last strength, she ran to it, and pounded on the door. Yet another kind, old woman answered, and informed the princess that she had found it. The Palace of the Sun. It was the same situation as last time, just without another birth. The sun was away working all day, and the princess had to be out by nightfall, because, After seeing all the wicked deeds of humankind, the son always came back a bit moody. Still, the son's mom said the princess and her baby were welcome there for the day. And, as the princess crossed the threshold, she nearly tripped, as the second pair of iron shoes broke apart. She didn't think anything of putting on the third and final pair. The princess was disappointed to learn that the son didn't know anything of her husband, but got her now customary consolation chicken. Before the princess left, after a day of rest, the sun's mom also instructed her to keep the bones for some reason. The princess smirked and rustled the bag of bones she had tucked away from the moon's house months ago. She would keep them. The sun's mom also told her that if the moon and sun didn't know, then maybe the wind would. The cave of the wind was to the north. She looked on the young woman with a mixture of pity and fear, kissed both she and her son on the foreheads and watched them set off in renewed spirits, not knowing the dangers that awaited them. The princess nearly died several more times, and the only thing that kept her going was the baby at her chest. If she died, then he wouldn't stand a chance. She couldn't bear the thought of her infant slowly freezing to death, clinging to her lifeless body, and so, she continued. Finally, she arrived at the home of the wind, a drafty, frozen cave, far to the north. This time, the mother of the wind was helpful beyond just the gift of poultry. She said that she knew where the prince was, In a faraway forest, shielded from the sunlight and moonlight, he was being held prisoner by the witch. The little pig man lived in the trees, and tried to make fire to fend off the dangers of the forest, but his time was limited. The princess barely waited long enough to collect yet another roasted chicken, and the suggestion to keep the bones. She knew where he was, and now, she would be able to rescue her husband. Her third and final pair of iron shoes broke a few hundred miles out from the house of the wind, but she didn't care. She put up with the slimy creatures rubbing her feet, as she traversed the bogs and sharp rocks and thorns, when hiking over mountains and through forests. Her staff, too, became so worn that it was useless, and so she cast it away. At last, she came to the forest that the Mother of the Wind had described, one so thick that no axe could cut through it. She held her baby in one arm and the bag full of chicken bones in the other and slipped into the forest. It was a dark and deceptive place. She could sense the things in the trees, watching her from all directions. This was a place of dark magic. This was a place created to warp, confuse travelers, to trap them forever. Though it was difficult at times, she remained focused on her husband, and so she continued on. Then, three full days after she entered the forest, she found a house. It was basically a tower at this point, one that matched the description the wind's mother had given her. The only problem? The little pigman had been at work since she had left. It was tall and made from thick logs that he had found around the forest. There was one door, but it was at the top. She tried pounding at the side, but it was too thick for someone inside to hear. She sat down. This whole journey had been so difficult. Why couldn't it just end? Hadn't she been through enough? The baby crawled around the clearing, while the princess tried to think of a solution. Then, she remembered. The bones. She had been lugging this bag of chicken bones around for months, with only the vague, they might be helpful someday, maybe, promises from the various mothers. Well, today was someday, maybe. She dumped the bones out on the grass. Okay, so not to break the narrative too much, but I don't know how to make it remotely realistic. Where the princess looks at the bones and thinks, I could probably stick these bones together to make a ladder, and then does exactly that. Snapping together the bones like the most gruesome medieval Lego set, she made two long poles and then connected them with rungs. To her surprise, there were nearly enough bones to reach the top of the log house. Then, the princess began to hear noises in the forest around her. The forest and the things within were finding that they couldn't deceive or delay the princess. She was focused and pressed past the dangers. They didn't like that, and each night, the darkness grew closer and closer to the woman. She knew that tonight would be the night that they got her. She had to get into this house, to safety. She propped the ladder against the tower, but it crashed to the ground, nearly shattering. She began to hear whispers the trees behind her from the left and from the right urging her to abandon the prince to come into the darkness. The princess scooped up her son and held him close. She pulled out a small blunt knife the only weapon she had and pointed it toward the forest. She hadn't come this far to surrender. Then she looked at the knife and knew what she had to do. She realized that she did have bones. The princess didn't have the luxury of time to hesitate. Whatever lurked in the darkness of the forest was coming for her. She tucked her child into the sling, bit down on a stick, and put the blunt knife to her finger. When it was done, and even though it was more of a mega block to the chicken bone Legos, it fit the top of the ladder. She wrapped her hand and climbed. She burst through the door in the roof and climbed down inside the log safe house. There, huddled and filthy in the corner was the pig he had heard her outside that day but thought it was just another one of the tricks of the forest it wasn't until he saw her and his pig skin fell away that he knew that she was the one his wife had come for him she had rescued him she learned that he was the youngest son of a king and that he had actually killed a dragon unlike a lot of dragon slaying stories it didn't stop there though The old witch was the dragon's mother, and really, when you curse someone into the form of a pig, you do so thinking that they'll be trapped in that form forever. That's why the witch went to extra lengths, to ensure that he remained cursed. The reunited couple stayed the night in the tower the prince had constructed, and he met the child. The next day, they left, never to return. See, I knew you'd figure it out, the king. The princess's father gushed with a smile as he embraced his daughter and his handsome, non-pig, son-in-law. Wait, so you knew about the curse the whole time, the princess said? Uh, No, no, I mean, I knew there had to be something going on, what with the talking pig and all, but I didn't see an issue with marrying my daughter off to a monster to get the pig plague party out of my city. Anyway, all's well that ends well. What'd you have to do? Just... Kiss him or something? No, the princess said. I spent months walking my feet bloody, pregnant, and then with a newborn, climbing mountains and trudging across tundras before cutting off my own finger to complete a chicken ladder, dad. Oh, well, you know, kissing him versus all that. Six of one, half dozen of the other. The important thing is that you're back, he said. The king must have at least felt a little pity for his daughter because he ignored his other two children and made she and her husband his sole heirs. Years later, when they ascended the throne, they led as just and thoughtful rulers. And, after all they had been through, they were always grateful for their kingdom, their people, and each other. This was sort of a Frankenstein's monster of fairy tale tropes. Podcast members recognized elements from two different member-only episodes, Iron Shoes and The pig faced Gentleman, though those stories ended very differently. We have elements of Beauty and the Beast, Bluebeard, and though I haven't covered it on any such story for the show, a hero popping into the house of the sun or moon is pretty common in certain traditions. There was the deceptive witch, the terrible prophecy, the clueless king, and the fairy tale obsession with threes. Basically, it takes a lot of things that have been used many times, but does something new and interesting. Next week, it's taken 100 plus episodes in two years, but we are finally getting into Egyptian mythology, a mythology that... With its blend of epic stories and extremely bizarre circumstances, seems like it was made for this podcast. I think you'll really like it, so check it out. I want to say thanks to Dangerous D Brown, Jamie Goldberg, Combustible Shoes, Big Fat Raindrops, Hobson, but with numbers, Mister the Word Bird, My Franklin Two Thousand, Lucimo Eighty Seven, Diziet Thirty Three, Becca Smiley Face, Eden Ruffle, Average Andy Ninety Two, Lawful Mayo, Michael Gillanders, Lisa Mcmong Dime 78, and Chris 12 pound sign percentage for the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you all so much. It's great to read the reviews. If you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is very much the best place. You can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. There's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of five pounds of misprinted company pens, you can get extra episodes, source pack eBooks, and ad-free versions of the show that, now that Chris has joined the podcast, are better edited than five pounds of pens you can buy. Unfortunately, I can't say the same about my editing before she joined. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. If you've ever wondered what a cross between a vampire and a zombie would look like, well, look no further than the Alcutane from the Pacific Northwest in North America. Don't worry though, because this nightmare monster hybrid is only the size of a normal mosquito. But then kind of worry a lot because this nightmare monster hybrid is only the size of a normal mosquito. Imagine a zombie that, instead of shuffling slowly towards you, with a head just begging to be cricket batted, is tiny and nearly invisible, opting instead to take a short route to your brain by burrowing in through your ear. By the time you hear the buzzing, it's already too late. You can pretty much assume that the Alcutane is relaxing inside your skull, munching on your brains. The only way to protect against vampire zombie mosquitoes is to always cover your ears, which can lead to several stilted summer conversations. But, kind of luckily, the Alcutane is not great at portion control, and will always become engorged, leading to a blue bubble protruding from your ear. If this happens, grab the bubble, give it a tug, and the creature will be dislodged from your brain. With the permanent brain damage and the gross ear blood bubbles, this creature seems pretty insidious. Give me deadly tickle fights any day. So yeah, that's it for the Alcutane. Now enjoy thinking about this creature every time you hear buzzing in your ear this summer. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs, and there are links to other music in the show notes. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.